Can you hear me? It's too bad. Today's scripture reading is in Luke, Luke 24, verses 1 to 12. Nelson asked me to count to 30 so that everybody could find it in their Bibles. In my Bible, it's on page 1609. I'm not sure in yours, but I'll tell you a little story. A couple weeks ago, we were at a public speaking competition, and they were spewing out useless facts. And one of the facts they spewed out was that you can't lick your own elbow. It's impossible. And then after they told us that 80% of us would probably try it when we got home. So. I tried it right there. You can't. Luke 24, 1-12. But very early on Sunday morning, the women came to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found that, they found that the stone covering the entrance had been rolled aside. So they went in, but they couldn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. They were puzzled, trying to think what could have happened to it. Suddenly, two men appeared to them clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed low before them. Then the men asked, Why are you looking in a tomb for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He has risen from the dead. Don't you remember what he told you back in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of the sinful men and be crucified? and that he would rise again the third day. Then they remembered that he had said this, so they rushed back to tell his eleven disciples and everyone else what had happened. The women who went to the tomb were Mary Magdalene, Joanna, mother, Mary the mother of James, and several others. They told the apostles what had happened, but the story sounded like nonsense, so they didn't believe it. However, Peter ran into the tomb to look. Stooping, he peered in and saw the empty linen wrappings. Then he went home again, wondering what had happened. You may have heard the story of Karl Barth. Um, he's a famous theologian of the last century, and uh, he lived in Basel, Switzerland. And he was on a streetcar one day, and uh, just traveling around. This is the city which he wrote and lectured. And the tourists to the city of Basel climbed in and sat down next to the famous theologian. The two men started chatting with each other, and Karl Barth asked the man, Are you new to the city? Yes, said the tourist. Is there anything you'd particularly like to see in the city? asked Karl Barth. Yes, the tourist said, I'd love to meet the, the famous theologian Karl Barth. Do you know him? Barth said, well, yes, as a matter of fact, I do. I give him a shave every morning. The tourist got off the streetcar. He was quite happy. He went back to his hotel saying to himself, I just met Karl Barth's barber today. <laughs> Funny how you can see somebody, be with them, talk with them and not recognize who they are. And yet there's other times if you had the experience where you met somebody and you get this niggling, naggling feeling that you've seen them before, but you can't quite put your finger on it. The older you get, the more you get this feeling. <laughs> but something about this person triggers a memory, a connection, and you just can't make it. Just the way they talk, their face, something about them. How beautiful the moment is, though, when you suddenly realize, now I know who you are. 
We have been learning about discipleship all uh, winter. We've been going through the book of Luke, and right now we're pretty well at the end, so we'll start a new series uh, in a couple of weeks. But we've been learning about discipleship from Luke, the doctor. And we've learned that being a disciple is different than being a believer, uh, although they are connected. We begin by being becoming believers. A believer is somebody who believes Jesus is the Son of God. That he, he was raised from the dead, he's seated at the right hand of the Father, and that only through Jesus Christ can one's sins be forgiven. That's what a believer does. We believe this stuff. However, a believer only goes as far as believing. When it comes to the suffering part, when it begins to cost us something, then that person's belief tends to come to an end. They say, I will not go. A disciple, however, not only believes in Christ, but is willing to follow Jesus. And Jesus always leads us down the path of suffering. He says, there's a cross for you. I have a cross. I was nailed to it. But guess what? There's one for you too. And if you're going to be a disciple, I invite you to pick up this cross, carry it around with you every day, and follow me down the path of suffering. Now, this is a whole different ball of wax. And so think of yourself as being a disciple and you're and you're in Jerusalem this week, this past week. And what would you be thinking this Sunday morning? You might be thinking something like this. Jesus, we followed you. Not only did we believe in you, but we left everything. We left the the nets and the boats and we left the tax collecting and all these kind of things. And we followed you, Lord. We followed you all the way here to Jerusalem. And the events of this week led us straight to a grave and tomb. It led basically to nothing. Jesus was dead. He was killed on Friday. He's been dead a couple of days now. So what do you do now when you're a disciple with no one to follow? Well, you just basically go home, I guess. Peter said, I guess we'll just go back to fishing because that's what we know. So you go home. Must be kind of a lonely feeling, a little bit of a let down feeling. Maybe you've felt that way in your own life, too. You've decided, I'm going to be a disciple, I'm going to follow Jesus, and yet your life has not worked out the way you thought it would work out. Maybe you feel a little alone this morning as well. I love this account. We're going to pick up where Daryl left off. We had the account of the resurrection, but we're going to read this morning the story of two disciples. And God has a wonderful way of surprising us with joy, even in the darkest moments of our lives. And if you're in a dark moment today, this morning is for you, and this passage is for you. Let's pray together and, uh, and listen to the Lord, what he has to say. Father, we thank you for Luke and how faithful he was in uh, detailing, researching the events of your life, Jesus, and putting them down in an orderly fashion. And now we're at the climax of the book. And the climax doesn't seem like a climax yet, especially to the disciples. They followed. They left everything. They followed you, and it seemed like all was lost. You, you were killed. You were crucified. You were executed. And for many of us, we might feel a little bit that way sometimes. Lord, we left things. We followed you. And our lives are not working out the way we thought they would work out. So, Father, I pray that you would, you would speak a word of encouragement, of hope, of joy that comes from the resurrection and turn our sadness into joy as we place our trust in you. For you are alive, you are seated at the right hand of the Father, and we worship you this morning. So speak by your spirit and by your word. And we all sit together 
Amen. The two men, uh, we only know the name of one of them, but they, were, they had been in Jerusalem all week as well for the Passover feast. Because if you were a good Jew, that's where you went at Passover time. You were there. And so normally this would have been a very happy time for them because Passover would, would have occurred on Friday, Saturday, you celebrate, and now Sunday you, you go home. So normally they would be very satisfied and very encouraged because the, the Passover lamb had been sacrificed, their sins were covered, and they should have been joyful. But this was no ordinary Passover weekend. And what had begun with such hope and encouragement the week before on Palm Sunday and had ended in confusion and disappointment. Because, you see, it wasn't just a lamb that was slaughtered on Friday. There had been a public execution. What a week. I mean, first there was the excitement at the beginning of the week. This young teacher, Jesus, enters the city. Everybody tears off palm branches and, 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 they, and they tear off their coats and they lay it down and they welcome him into the city. The people called him a prophet. They sang to him. He spoke for God with authority. He performed miracles. He talked of God's kingdom. The crowds had cheered him along the parade route. The young teacher had raised the hopes of a nation under the thumb of Rome. Because, you see, the scriptures had promised a deliverer, a Messiah. He would be one of King David's descendants. He would declare himself king. He would raise an army. He would crush Rome. Israel would be reestablished as a world power and God's kingdom on earth would begin and everything would be wonderful. And it all looked that way until Friday. Angered by the, sorry, arrested by the chief priests, the crowds turned against this young man. He, they called for his death. Pilate, trying to prevent a riot, acquiesces to their demands. He's executed outside the city. I mean, if this man really was Messiah, why was he killed? That is not the plan. And what will happen to us now as his disciples? Was this Jesus just another imposter? There had been many, you know. Why didn't he save himself? Why didn't he save us? And yet, rumors persisted. Some women had gone to the gravesite this morning and found it empty. Now, they claimed an angel said he was alive, but nobody has seen him, at least not that we know. And can you really trust the testimony of women? This is what they thought. Okay. So often God does not deliver us the way we hoped that he would. So often life does not work out the way we plan it to go. God tells us he is with us. We have the idea, we're told that if you serve God... If you follow him, things will go well for you. Things should work out. You believe in God. You obey him. And then life doesn't work out for you. Life is difficult. Life does not turn out the way you plan. Life involves suffering and loss. That's not the way it's supposed to go. Maybe your life is like that. You have dreams of things happening and they are not happening. And as you walk your journey, you might feel quite alone. The two men talked about these things and, and how things had sort of gone topsy-turvy as they walked. Now, they were going to Emmaus, seven miles out of the city, so they had quite a while to talk. They were going home, and they did not notice the third man who came up behind them. 
And all of a sudden there's this third person walking with him. Must be another Passover pilgrim just going home. And uh, the stranger says, well, I noticed you're having a deep discussion about something, but what are you talking about anyways? And so one of them says, well, are you, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem? Don't you know the things that have happened in this last week? In our language, we would say, duh. Okay. <laughs> Haven't you heard a thing? Haven't you heard of these things? And I love the humor of Jesus. He keeps a straight face. He looks at them and he says, what things? What are you talking about? Clue me in. <laughs> well, I mean, about this man named Jesus. And they went on to recount the events of the week. We thought he was Messiah, but, but it doesn't fit the plan because Messiah cannot be rejected and killed. We have even heard that he's alive, but that's really, that's weirding us out. And nobody's really seen him yet. We haven't seen him. We're confused. So the stranger says, well, here's your problem. You do not believe what the scriptures have said. You don't understand what the scriptures have actually said about Messiah. Messiah has to suffer first and then be glorified. Let me tune you in. So he takes them on a tour of the Old Testament. And I wish I could have been there. And he explained to them in all the scriptures what it actually said about Messiah. Not what they thought it said about Messiah. Messiah, yes, was to be king, but a king who suffers for his people. A different kind of king. He suffers first and then glory. And he probably Jesus took him back to Genesis, the creation account. Adam and Eve plunging the human race into sin and destruction. And yet the promise in Genesis 3, the promise that was made to the serpent, you will strike his heel, Messiah will suffer, but Messiah is going to crush your head one day. This is Messiah. Genesis 22, Abraham placing this promised son Isaac on the altar and taking the knife to plunge it into him and God saying, no, stop. And then God providing a sacrifice, that is Messiah. Exodus 12, God says to his people, you are going to escape, but you must sacrifice a lamb. You must put the blood over the doorpost. And when I see the blood of the lamb who has suffered, I will pass over you. That is Messiah. Maybe he took them to Psalm 22. The suffering Messiah cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, suffering Messiah. I bet he took him to Isaiah 52, 53. Messiah is the suffering servant who is pierced for our transgressions, who is crushed for our iniquities. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. And Isaiah 53, 11. And after the suffering... Of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. So you see, concluded the stranger, these women are right. He is alive, but he had to suffer first. And these things that happened this weekend, they are all part of God's plan. Amazing, this guy seemed to know his Bible. (laughs) Something familiar about him, can't quite place it. Luke says it was hidden from them. So by that time, they pulled into the village, time for night. 
stranger was polite. He doesn't say anything. He just sort of stands there and uh, stands outside the door as if he's going to keep on going. And of course, the two disciples invite him in because no good Jew would leave a stranger standing outside his door for the evening. Besides, they liked him. They washed up for the meal. It's time for supper. They went to the table. And here's an interesting part. The stranger goes from being the stranger in the home to being the host. And normally the, 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 the father of the home would stand and give thanks and break the bread. But now he becomes the host. And he lifts the bread and he gives thanks to the father. He breaks it open and he offers it to them. And it was something in the breaking of that bread. Perhaps it was a flashback to an earlier miracle with loaves and fishes. Perhaps it was a memory of the, the Last Supper just two days before. Whatever it was, God opens their eyes in that moment. God flips on the light of their imagination, of their understanding. It's the turning point of the story. Jesus reveals them, himself to them in person. Not only is he alive, he is here at the table. Now they know for themselves. They see it. And in the moment of recognition, he disappears. Imagine what they talked about then. Didn't our hearts burn? And then they thought back earlier in the day. As he explained the scriptures, I knew there was something about him. And we really saw him. Right now, he was with us. And they, and they, no time for supper. Back to Jerusalem, back to seven miles into town. They're not confused anymore. They are thrilled. They're not discouraged anymore. You know what? Those darn women were right after all. <laughs> and they found the eleven. Door was probably locked, pounding the door. It's true. We saw him. He's alive. The stranger is no stranger anymore because they recognize Jesus in their midst. This morning, let's just think for a moment. What does resurrection mean, really? Uh, just a few things. These are very important truths. The resurrection means that God has endorsed all of Jesus' life and who he is and accepted his payment for our sins once and for all. Jesus is who he said he is. God does not raise people to life whose life he does not endorse. Romans 1 says that the Holy Spirit declares Jesus to be the Son of God by his resurrection. You see, he claimed to be the Son of God during his life. He proved he was the Son of God by his resurrection. Secondly, so Jesus is who he says he is. Secondly, you can have confidence then in trusting Christ that your record will be clean with God because Jesus is the official authorized cleanser of sin that God has provided. Hebrews 10, 10 verses 20 to 22 says, Now you can draw near to God with a washed heart and a cleaned body because of the blood of Christ. He's the cleanser, the only authorized cleanser of sin in the universe. And the resurrection demonstrates that. Thirdly, the resurrection demonstrates that death has now been turned into sleep. We buried Mr. Lockhart this week. If you don't know him, he was a dear saint of 100 years. And his life, we didn't even have to say a whole lot at the, ser at the service. We just pondered the life of a man who over a century walked with the Lord. And we just said, Amen. We're going to follow you, Ivan. <laughs> and uh, the Lord was faithful to him. So Mr. Lockhart fell asleep. We buried his body in the ground, but his spirit, his soul is with the Lord. OK, and we know that because Jesus has turned death into sleep. 
The New Testament, when a Christian dies in the New Testament, they don't say the Christian died. They say the Christian has fallen asleep. And you know what happens when you sleep? You wake up again. Jesus has turned death into sleep. Jesus says, if you believe in me, I am the resurrection and the life. You will never die. Even though you physically die, you will never die. You will never be separated from the Father. For to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Fourthly, Jesus is alive and he is with us today. A mom writes about her child. When driving to church on Easter Sunday a couple of years ago, I told my children the Easter story. This is the day we celebrate Jesus coming back to life, I explained. Right away, my three-year-old son, Kevin, said from the back seat, will he be in church today? Well, yes, he is in church today. He is risen. He is here. And number five, I, I think this pertains to this story particularly. This account, the resurrection means that Jesus may be walking, well, he is walking with you, and you have not seen it. You've not seen him. For those of you who do not know Jesus, today is the day. The scripture says, now is the day of salvation. Don't put it off. He is Lord. He has a right to you. He's bought you, and he invites you to invite him into your life and to forgive your sins. But for those of you who do, or have done that, but you do not see his hand or his presence in your life, that can change too. This is a special word, I think, this story, for those of you who are discouraged about your life. It is not turning out the way you had planned. Just like the disciples had a plan, they had an idea of how Messiah was going to be this conquering king and he was going to make everything good and fix all their problems. You may have an idea about life that it's all supposed to be good. And everything's supposed to work out for me. And my problems are going to be solved because I believe in Jesus. And it hasn't happened. Understand today, though, that Jesus is walking with you in the most ordinary events of your life. Maybe you have not seen him directly. But you've had the comforting words of a friend. You maybe had money provided to you when you needed it. Strength to carry on. Maybe somebody came to you with a scripture, a word of encouragement. In the times of my life when I thought I was most alone, I look back now and I see Jesus was walking right beside me. So today I ask you and I encourage you, ask the Lord to show, to show you his presence in your life. And remember that suffering comes before glory. And sometimes suffering comes to us because of dumb things we do. Sometimes suffering comes to us simply because we are disciples of Jesus. Surrender control of the things that you're trying to fix and you can't. And give control to him and say, Lord, open my eyes to see your presence in my life. Because suffering can lead to glory. And God may be calling you to walk alongside somebody who is suffering and to be Jesus Christ to that person by not abandoning them, by being a friend in a time of trouble, by giving them a word of encouragement. We speak Jesus to one another. He's with you, even though you don't see him. May the Lord open our eyes to the presence, his presence today. Let's pray together. Father, it says in your word that you're close to the brokenhearted and you save those who are crushed in spirit. 
And I want to pray especially, Lord, for those whose lives have not gone the way it was planned. And the problems aren't solved yet. Maybe things are getting worse. And it's difficult. We feel lonely. We feel like we're walking the road alone. And yet this story of, of, of Jesus and the disciples tells us that you're walking beside us at all times. Lord, open our eyes to see your presence if we're in that position. And encourage us, Lord, to walk alongside others who are lonely, who are wondering where you are. May we be Jesus to them. And may your resurrection power be felt in all of our lives today, tomorrow, in the days and week ahead. We thank you, Lord. You are risen from the dead, seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us to the Father. And we give thanks for the hope of Easter. In Jesus' name, and we all say, Amen.